All right, we're continuing to talk about the rise of Adolf Hitler. The Fuhrer. Anyone know what Fuhrer means? The leader. The ruler, the leader. That's right. So far you've read chapter one, I think, of part one in Mein Kampf. Um, Today I want to start by talking about his eschatology. Everyone has an eschatology. It's an aspect of your religion. Does anyone know the, what the word eschatology means? Study of last yeah, the study of last things. All right? You can also call it teleology from telos, which means what in Greek? In. That's right. I think that's on your test today, isn't it? Well, every religion or worldview, including Nazism, has an eschatology. Anyone know the eschatology of Marxism? You should by now. Yeah, a utopia brought about by the state's redistribution of wealth, eradication of private property, and restructuring of the economic forces and systems of this world. In neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism, it's restructuring the, the power, the cultural power, from whiteness, the original sin, to people of color. Once that takes place, we enter into a utopian world of equality and solidarity and fraternity, paradise restored without Jesus. Every religion has an eschatology. In environmentalism, the religion of environmentalism, um, <clears throat> the world ends with a supernova of the sun. But before that, paradise is restored through the eradication of the cancer of humanity. And the world enters into an evolved, more natural state without man. You know, going back to the primeval uh, state of the world, or so they think. That's environmentalism. And of course, today, if you're environmentalist, you have to sacrifice to offset your carbon footprint. You might want to have abortions to make sure you don't overpopulate the earth. There's various sacrifices that you would need to make to atone for your sins. But with enough atonement and enough of the world coming together, we can eradicate the world of our carbon footprint and, uh, and uh, restore Mother Earth and, um, and no longer victimize her. So this environmentalism. In Buddhism, uh, certain aspects of Buddhism or certain parts of Buddhism, they teach that one day the whole world will be apocalyptically burned up when seven suns appear in the sky. Yeah. Sounds encouraging, right? <laughs> That's right. In, um, in dispensational millennialism, which is a, a particular um, interpretation of Christian eschatology, which is incredibly wrong and, un- and unfortunate and unhelpful for all of us. But they believe that the world will grow increasingly bad, more and more apostasy. There will be a tiny remnant of Christians in the future. Oftentimes they think it's next year. They write books like 89 Reasons That Jesus Is Returning in 1989. Or, or it was it was eight, eight reasons that Jesus is returning in eighty eight, and then when he didn't, they had to republish it, um, and they and they said they got a few things off, but it's actually going to be nineteen eighty nine, um, and so you'll hear these kind of people saying, you know, I wouldn't buy no green bananas, Jesus, any minute now he's coming back. I, I believed this as a kid, and and I had been saving for a very long time in the stock market, and uh, eventually because I thought Jesus would come back any minute. Um, and that we didn't need to keep doing the Great Commission and, and exercise dominion over the earth, I, I liquidated all my savings and bought a car with it. And uh, that was a terrible mistake. I'd be a millionaire right now if it weren't for dispensational eschatology. Um, but they believe the world will get worse and worse and worse, and then right toward the end, um, there will be an invisible rapture of all the Christians. All the Christians will disappear, 
And in some of the more extreme versions of dispensationalism, they have movies where piles of clothes just slump on the floor. Yeah, and they, uh, when I was a kid, they had songs that they would sing. And I, I remember one of the most terrifying songs was, uh, um, I, wish we'd, I wish we'd all been ready. There's still time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. <laughs> I used to have recurring nightmares about that. Um, absolute absurdity. And so all the Christians disappear, but when all the Christians disappear, then the Antichrist rises up and he creates a global religion and he kills like two-thirds of the Jews. And, you know, just a, a few people are saved at that point. And then at the end of the seven-year great tribulation period, Jesus comes back and he establishes a kingdom on earth and he sets up his, his throne in Jerusalem and rebuilds the temple and restarts the sacrifices and the Christians rule like kind of like a bureaucratic state over all the non-Christians for a thousand years. And it's the thousand-year reign. And um, things are a lot better there with the Christians in, in control for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, um, if, I, if I remember correctly, then all the, all the non-Christians are judged and thrown in the lake of fire and um, the devil as well. That's dispensational premillennialism. And if that gets in your bones, it'll mess, it'll mess with you for sure. But I mention all this eschatology because Hitler had an eschatology too. It was millennial, which is very interesting, right? Because Nazism is a heresy of Christianity, just like Marxism. But it, and it's also apocalyptic, all right? Now, I want to talk about this slowly because I want to see if y'all can guess, all right? So let's just start first off with this. He believed that there were three kingdoms. What's the German word for kingdom? It sounds like the English word reign. Reich. That's right. The three Reichs. The first one he believed was the Holy Roman Empire. It had come and gone. The second Reich was the united Germany that was united just prior to World War I in the nationalistic uh, fervor of, those of the early 20th century and uh, late 19th century under Otto von Bismarck. So that's the united Germany. But he believed that under him, the Führer, he would lead the nation into its third and final kingdom, the third kingdom, and that that Nazi kingdom would rule over the world for a thousand years. See, he's millennial. A thousand means, you know, millennial. Isn't that interesting? Now, who helped him come up with stuff like this? Who would tell somebody something like this? Uh, the devil, right? Of course, we, are, we talked about this already, but they were in, heavily involved in the occult and witchcraft and seances and all of that. Now, in order to engage this millennial reign, in order to make it come to past, there had to first be an apocalyptic purification. You know what apocalyptic means? War, bloodshed, violence, grand cosmic discontinuity events, sort of like, a, you know, like, you know, like Armageddon, like battles of the devil and demons against angels, major apocalyptic events, nuclear warfare, apocalypse. So there had to be apocalyptic purification of sin on the earth if he was going to usher in his third Reich his millennial kingdom. Now, but what is sin to a humanistic, satanic, um, socialistic, nationalistic Nazi? 
What sin? Disobeying the nation. Sure, going against the nation's will, going against the nation's good. And who precisely was at the root and the heart of all of the uh, opposition to the German peoples? The Jews. That's right. So with apocalyptic purification of the Jews through warfare, through fighting, through gas chambers, he could develop a master race who could then rule over the world, exercise dominion over the entire world for a thousand years and bring peace and prosperity, having rid the world of pollution and of sin. So you can see, y'all heard his speeches. They sound like revivalistic preachers, honestly. They sound like hellfire and brimstone preaching. A lot of similarities. You know, only uh, he doesn't have Jesus at the center. He has himself at the center. You know, it's, a, it's an imitation. All right, is everyone listening over there in that, in that corner? Y'all listening? Everyone's listening? All right. So once total control was given to him, he began this apocalyptic purification. The original sin of Jewishness would be cut out. Now, how do you know if you're a Jew or not? If you had one grandparent, that was the test. That's right. If you had one grandparent that was a Jew... So you could have a great-grandparent that was Jewish, and uh, that would be, um, you wouldn't have so much pollution that you would need to be purified. But if, you, if one of your grandparents, and certainly if your parents were Jewish, then you had to be purified. And, um, and so things started happening. They got kicked out of the professions, out of the military, out of the hospitals, out of the schools, the educational systems. They were no longer allowed to do certain types of um, work, they were no longer allowed to bear arms, to have guns. And soon they weren't allowed to keep shop and they had to identify themselves in public with a gold star, the Star of David. Have y'all heard, heard these stories or watched these movies before? And their shops, they would have to put a Star of David on the shop front. And so as German nationalism began to spread in this apocalyptic uh, you know, fury and these, these dreams and hopes of a millennial reign of a third Reich. And you saw the uh, festivals and the celebrations that they had with the trumpets and the war horns and the soldiers marching and all the, the praising and extolling of the Fuhrer. It, that that uh, frenzy began to stir in the nation and, uh, and Jews were getting increasingly persecuted. And then eventually they were made to leave their homes and go live in, in ghettos and little camps. And then eventually they were brought to concentration camps and to gas chambers. And it happened slowly, you know, a little here, a little there. And a lot of the Jews um, didn't see it coming. They didn't believe that it was going to happen. It's kind of the, the frog in the, in the boiling water thing. That's why, you know, the frog in the boiling water? No, Where it's a, it's, a cold, it's a cold-blooded animal. So if you put it in water and you slowly turn the heat up on it real, real slow... The idea is that it won't jump out. It will stay in there until it just dies. But if you, if you, put, if you turn the temperature up right away, it will know and it will jump out. You know what I'm saying? And so they kind of slowly, he slowly turned the heat up on them. And their life was good. And they, and they oftentimes had uh, the success and, and comfort. And, the, and they didn't understand the, the humanistic worldview of Hitler. And where it was headed. 
Now, they could have known exactly where it was heading if they would have done what? Read Mein Kampf. That's all. He told every, he, he said precisely what he was going to do. All right. It's his little Bible. It's the Messiah's covenant contracts. <clears throat> There's one story of, of some Jews that it was it had gotten so bad and the self de- the denial was so bad that the that the uh, Germans said uh, whoever wants to go work in the uh, vineyards we're going to be taking y'all on these trains here and they loaded up all the Jews onto trains under the idea that they're going to work in the vineyards right and they and they dropped them off in Auschwitz and Dachau and other concentration camps they just they just couldn't believe that it would be this terrible. So eventually they lost their citizenship. They were not allowed to intermarry and eventually they were purged. And uh, six million Jews were purged from uh, Europe. So, but then more began to happen. He began to engage internationally. See, because his dominion, he believed, would be a global dominion. And so first thing he did was break the Treaty of Versailles. You need to write this down. The Treaty of Versailles, which ended World War I. Stopped paying the reparations, and he went over the borders that the Treaty of Versailles had established, and he took back some land and extended his borders. Now, what's going over on in the East that's also making the world a little nervous? Benjamin? V E R S A I L L E S. What's going on in the East that's making the world nervous? Japan. Well, yes, that's true. Japan is, is uh, at this particular time plotting to go to war against the United States, um, <coughs> against the wishes and the advice of their generals, which said that uh, they would not win. And, uh, but they wanted, they wanted to uh, continue to expand in the eastern, uh, in the Pacific Ocean, and uh, and they knew that America stood in their way. They had globalist dominion uh, dreams and, and visions as well. Their emperor thought himself to be God, and so we don't. We're not going to be learning about Japanese um, worldview in this class, but it's, it's not unlike all the other humanistic worldviews that we've, you think we've learned. The Japanese and the Nazis eventually would have just went to war. If, if they would have won one. Oh, sure. Hitler believed that uh, Asian people were um, a lesser race. So Absolutely. They, they That's why have. he killed and, and uh, imprisoned so many Russians because they have Asian blood in them. They are mixed with Mongolians um, oftentimes. And so he called them the um, mong- mongrel races. Yeah, he hated all that. He wanted pure Aryanism. So he only really was using. Yeah, it. he he would have. Yeah, and they. I don't even know the extent to which they were even connected. Honestly, I don't know. But um, eventually, he expands his borders. He annexes Austria. You know, if you go to Austria today, they speak German. It's uh, they're Germanic peoples, and so he's just basically Austria is now ours, adding millions of more people to his population, to his kingdom. And he starts to uh, it starts to look like he's going to invade Czechoslovakia, right? He says the Germans are being mistreated in Czechoslovakia, but the West doesn't want to stop him. Nobody wants to go fight him. Why? Because they just got done with World War One. Nobody wants another world war. And the Soviet Union and Stalin was growing in the East, so a lot of people thought perhaps that perhaps Hitler could um, you know keep. Stalin at bay. 
So nobody wanted to fight. But eventually he invaded Lithuania and Poland and Great Britain and France declared war on him. But still, America did not want to go to war. And America wouldn't go to war until Pearl Harbor when the Japanese sprung on us and, and uh, bombed Pearl Harbor. All right? So <clears throat> looking at all of this, why was Hitler so animated to fight? Why was he? Um, he was globalist. He His religion. His religion, that's right. His eschatology. He believed in reconstituting humanity in order to take dominion over the earth and to establish his reign. And, uh, and I know all of you believe, uh, or you know precisely where that's coming from. But he's also evolutionary. You see, this is part of it. What's the book called? My Struggle. My struggle. See, what is evolution? How does the fish come up out of the water and... And, and, uh, and develop legs? How does the amoeba emerge from the ooze, its struggle? You know, how do we know which animals survive and pass on and others do not? What do they call it? Survival. Survival of the fittest. The law of the jungle. You see, evolution is a, is a revolution religion. It's a chaos religion. It's a kill and be killed religion. And he believed as an evolutionist, that his race was the superior race. You know, he was a Darwinist. He believed what Darwin said. Remember Origin of the Species, right? That's what Darwin's whole book is about, is where the races came from and which races are most superior. <coughs> Hitler believed all of that. And so he went about survival of the fittest to eradicate the earth of the weaker, less evolved races and to bring about his master race. He's evolutionary, he's Darwinistic, and he's humanistic. And he's millennial and apocalyptic. And that's why he was so animated to fight. And that's it for today.